Oh, hi. I'm your host, Kyle Brownrigg, and welcome to Best Actress, discussing Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress Oscar wins, who we feel should have won, and why. The winner is Diane Keaton and Annie Hall. Hello and welcome to another episode of Best Actress. Today I am joined by a uh, co-worker, a friend. Um, She is originally from Sutton County, Dublin in Ireland. Uh, Her debut comedy album, Magically Malicious, went to number one on iTunes. You can hear her on Sirius XM Comedy. She will be at the Halifax Comedy Festival. We were supposed to be there last April, but something happened globally. She will be at the Halifax Comedy Festival uh, either this year or next year. Uh, Fiona O'Brien. Hey, Fiona. Hi, Kyle. How are you? I am good. I'm so happy that you could do this. If anybody asks, uh, if they like tune into the podcast halfway through, uh, we'll just say that you're Brenda Fricker. <laughs> but that's no problem. After lockdown, I look like her. <laughs> <laughs> so how are you doing in this lockdown? Uh, I'm finding this one. What is it? Number three now. Um, it's harder than the other two. <laughs> Yeah, it has been uh, very difficult and very challenging. You know, the, the the people that I feel the most sorry for, like, um, so three of my four grandparents have passed. My eldest, uh, uh, well, my only living grandparent is 93 years old. She lives in like a retirement, not like a retirement home, but it's like, you know, she lives, she has her own apartment, but there's like nurses on staff. You know what I mean? Okay. Like a community, like cocoon. Yeah. Like cocoon, exactly like cocoon. That's a great <laughs> reference. Yes. Um, and, uh, anyway, I, I feel really bad for her. You know, we, I, I try to, my family tries to see her as much as possible. Like we call her and, and stuff like that. But I, I feel like this lockdown is, is really difficult on, on people like her because I myself am going fucking crazy. And I just think like, Oh God, like how would it feel to be you know, in your 90s, like trapped inside. Oh my God, it'd be absolutely brutal. Like I haven't been able to fly back to Ireland uh, at all. So I haven't seen my mom now in over a year. Uh, and mm. not she's not 93, like she's 78. But like mm. that, she has to cocoon and she has to, that's what they say in Ireland. You're not allowed out <laughs> of your house. Um, she can go if she wants to go for a 5K walk, which she won't because she's too lazy. Yeah. <laughs> same girl so I, so I said to her you know she's on on facetime and i'm like um and the house is full of silver she's all silver pots and things and and tumblers and i'm like why don't you polish your silver and she's like yeah, why don't you fuck off <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's really really funny um i know that in ireland isn't ireland right now like one of the worst countries in the world for the way that they're handling this pandemic absolutely well what happened like and it's so irish like they were doing great and then everyone got fed up and then so my brother runs a restaurant in malahide in dublin and um he's the head chef there and two doors down i think at christmas everybody just thought oh the vaccine is coming we're gonna be grand fuck it right and the a local pub had 130 people for a lock-in and 40 of them tested positive for COVID so far. So it's that kind of shit. I think they knew the vaccine was coming and they were like, ah, she will be grand. And (laughs) they're not. And that is how Ireland has got the the highest rate of COVID per capita. Oh, Jesus. That's, that's, that's awful. Um, 
I know. So Daniel's parents, they're, well, they're like 45 minutes outside of Cork. They live in the middle of nowhere. And uh, even, you know, they're feeling it as well. Like they're, uh, I mean, they're obviously used to living like in the countryside. So I'm sure and a lockdown isn't really like a big change in their lifestyle. But like, you know, it's <laughs> it's hard. Um, I have a question for you. Now, I was looking at your on, I was looking at your website and it says that you were, Daniel explained to me what this was. And I just got to ask. It says that you were studying to be a Montessori teacher. What the hell is a Montessori? It sounds like a dinosaur. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, no. So a Montessori teacher is somebody that follows the method of Maria Montessori. And she was this leader in teaching children uh, all through the senses. Um, and it's kind. Of, it's basically like a fancy name for daycare. That's all it is. Oh, okay, but okay, that's that. I love that. Okay, it just it adds like a nice little ring to Montessori. But, I know it, it sounds kind of exotic, and so basically <laughs> all it is is the kids aren't old enough to go to school, but you're doing some teaching with them, teaching them through their senses. Uh, it's just glorified daycare. You do teach the kids stuff. It's it's look. I wanted to do it, and then I had kids, and then I was like fuck this i'm not working with kids all day and coming home to kids at night forget it one of them has to go and yeah. uh, it was the montessori <laughs> well amen i i mean i get that my my sister has four kids i have zero and we're good with that um yeah. so let's talk about the year okay so the academy award ceremony year is 1978 best picture went to annie hall best actor went to richard dreyfus for the Goodbye Girl, Best Supporting Actor went to Jason Robarts for Julia. He actually won Best Supporting Actor two years in a row. Uh, Best Supporting Actress went to Vanessa Redgrave for the movie Julia. And Best Director went to Woody Allen. So just right out the gate, um, I feel like this always, I always get some vicious queen that like messages me after some episode and they have some problem with what I have to say. And I kind of <laughs> love it slash hate it. But uh, uh, my favorite was when I was almost taken out by the renaissance renee zellweger fan club that was fun um i got to say that of all of the decades of cinema <laughs> 1970s is perhaps my le it has some gems don't get me wrong i like murder on the orient Express. i really like that movie uh, i love the exorcist uh, i love alice doesn't live here anymore there are little movies here and there that i really enjoy but for the most part 1970s cinema it just Maybe it's just because they were like the beginning of how modern films were made. And so because I'm so used to modern movies now, and when you look back on how they kind of started, it's just not the same thing. So maybe like my millennial generation eyes, I don't appreciate it or something, but 1970 cinema is perhaps some of my least favorite. And to be frank, this was probably one of my least favorite years I've ever done on this podcast. <laughs> I, I am glad you said it. this Category put fucking years on me. I, I, <laughs> I aged about two years watching every film. It was a fucking nightmare. <laughs> we only had to watch four, by the way. I know there should have been five, but I watched the four, and I and I was sitting watching them, going, "Is he enjoying these?" Because <laughs> like I was starting to shop on Amazon while the movie was just. I was on my phone shopping while the movie was I going know. on. I know. I mean, every okay of the of the bunch. Of the bunch, I would say that the turning point was probably my favorite. Um, so why don't we just 
why don't we just sort of start there? So we'll talk about each nominee individually, but let's just talk about the turning point. So if anybody has not seen the movie, the <laughs> most people point, haven't. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't imagine that they would. Uh, if you're familiar with um, a, a, a dancer named Barishnikov, I think he was in Sex in the City for like two seconds. Uh, he is a famous dancer, uh, almost like Fred Astaire or Michael Jackson, but he was a famous ballerina and he was nominated for best supporting actor for this movie. And, uh, okay. So the movie, the turning point is basically like Shirley MacLaine and Anne Bancroft back in the day were like competing ballerinas, but then Shirley went on to have kids and then Anne Bancroft went on to have her career. And the whole movie is basically about like how, um, Shirley is resentful toward Anne Bancroft because she's jealous of her and Anne Bancroft is jealous of Shirley because each one of these characters has something that the other character wants and doesn't have. And I thought it was kind of, I love Shirley MacLaine. I love Anne Bancroft. Um, but let's, okay, let's talk. I'm gonna, okay. Let's talk about Shirley MacLaine first. So Shirley MacLaine is the one that decided to have a family which apparently, according to this movie, was the worst thing that's ever <laughs> happened to her. Yes. <laughs> it yeah. is very interesting to me because in the movie, she has a dance studio. She's a teacher. Her husband is a teacher. She says that, which, by the way, is Tom Skerritt. And back in the day, Tom Skerritt could really melt somebody's potato. Oh, his mustache. Jesus. <laughs> And, you know, she has she has great kids. They all like the ballet, except that did kind of drive, drive me crazy that the one son that they had doing ballet also had to be a baseball player and also had to be straight because this is 1970s America and they don't want <laughs> yes. it to be too feminine, Yeah, you know? And she also said that she, Shirley MacLaine's character, only married Tom Skerritt to prove he wasn't queer. That was yeah. the line. That was. And I grew up in a, a place like that. <laughs> <laughs> How that's it's so dark. It's so unfortunate. But um, OK, well, before yeah. we get into tell me, what did you th- what did you think about this movie? I it, it was a, it was OK. I, I had high hopes first because like that, I adore Shirley MacLaine. I love her when she's laughing, when she's crying, when she's doing she could be picking her nose. I don't care. I love watching her. She's a fabulous, right. fabulous actress. And so I thought, oh, I'm going to love this. And I like Anne Bancroft. She is so talented. And your man, what's his name? The ballet dancer? Rushnikov. Oh, Aberishnikov, yeah. <laughs> I think best supporting uh, should have gone to his leggings because he has a massive package. <laughs> So. I was a little, yeah, I, it, it, yeah, it definitely got the engine started a little bit when I was watching this movie. Well, that mesmerized me. I was delighted with his package and Tom Skerritt's mustache. They were the best bits of the movie. <laughs> Could you imagine his package on Tom Skerritt's mustache? Ooh. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I was, it just, uh, there was a huge chunk that didn't even need to be there. Like mm-hmm. all of the beginning of the movie is them, um, so the ballet troupe comes to their town in Oklahoma, wasn't it? And so Shirley, Shirley MacLaine, her husband and kids all live in Oklahoma and run a dance school. Then, as far as I remember, the New York ballet troupe comes to Oklahoma to do a show. And then Shirley MacLaine and Tom Skerritt have them all over to their house after the show because they used to be in the show. So they were mm-hmm. part of that company. And so everyone's coming. And what shocked me the most about all of it was... They made it out like Shirley MacLaine was a washed up old hag. 
Yeah. <laughs> and she's she's only 37. I know. And I'm sitting there going, I'm older than her. And they're like putting her out to pasture. They're like, you're no good. You're, you might as well just put a bullet in your head now. You're useless to us. So well, I found that hard. But I mean, you also have to remember because Anne Bancroft, when she was in The Graduate, she was only two years older than Dustin Hoffman, but she was supposed to be this like old gargoyle. (laughs) Yes, I have to say, I have to say, she looked very old. She looked way older than Shirley MacLaine in this. I should have Googled how old she was in this in this role. Mm. And I don't know whether it was because she had to be so thin to play the ballerina. Like mm. I was watching how thin they all were. I was hurting me. Like I had to get a tub of ice cream while I was watching this. <laughs> well, I will say, cause I had a guest um, previously on this show that kind of said that, you know, and I, I think I kind of agree with that. Where like Anne Bancroft never really looked like super young. Like even when she was young, she always had like a very mature, mature yeah. kind of look to her. But talking about, you know, Shirley MacLaine specifically in this movie, I would say that she, she had really nice moments. The reason why I, really connected with this movie and this movie was my favorite in in this bunch is because you know you and I we're performers and whenever you actively choose to make your career something so unconventional in the arts whether it's comedy or dance or acting or singing or whatever the hell it is you know it's like when you make those choices I think that you spend a lot of your life often thinking what if like what if I didn't become a comedian what if I stayed in Ottawa? What if I um, just, I don't know, got a job in the government? And, you know, there's a lot of what ifs with with things like that. And sometimes, not that I ever think about like giving up on comedy, but I just mean like, what if I did give up on comedy and I did something else with my life? Like, what would it be? Because, you know, I used to be a professional illustrator before I was a comedian. So it's like, I I have an art background and then I'm going into a different art background. So sometimes I'm kind of like, well, what if I continued with the art and I stopped doing comedy? So I kind of really liked that sort of aspect of Shirley MacLaine's character where it's like she made her choices and she, I think, played it very well because she kind of is if you think about it annoying because she's like complaining about everything that should be making her happy, like having her family and having a a dance studio and being a teacher. And it's like, if you think about it, Anne Bancroft's character, she's kind of at the end of her career and she's miserable. And she's nothing to look forward to. She's like nothing. Like it's that thing. She's 37 and she's been put out to pasture and then she has no family or no kids or anything. Mm -hmm. I think that also historically, this was during the time when like a feminist uh, movement was happening throughout America through the late 1960s and 70s and like career women and stuff like that. So maybe it's because of the timing of the movie that Shirley MacLaine's character was being looked at as like, oh, well, you had kids like, well, there's more to life than just being a mom. Like maybe that's why that was part of the narrative. But, you know, Shirley MacLaine had some really nice moments like whenever, um, you know, she asks her daughter to stop punishing her for the affair and her daughter is quite upset with her. And I also kind of liked that um, her daughter, you know, when she sleeps with Barishnikov, she's very open about that with Shirley yeah. McLean and Shirley McLean doesn't have a problem with it. And she's not like slut shaming her and stuff like that, which was very common at this time in cinema. So I, there were certain moments with Shirley McLean that I really liked because I agree with you. It's like, I could literally just watch her smoking on the toilet and I'll, I'll enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. She was fabulous. And I love those moments too. The moments between her uh, and Tom Skerritt and the moments between her and her daughter, that there was the dancer. 
I thought were fabulous. And like that, when she did come home late and she'd had sex um, and she, like she was very open about it and telling her mom that she was on birth control and that she was fine. And, and her mom was like, come on, let's talk about it. So <laughs> I was like, Jesus Christ, this was very forward thinking in the 70s. Um, and I liked that. Mm-hmm. Do you think that um, do you think that this movie talking about like Shirley MacLaine and Anne Bancroft working together? Do you think that this movie would have worked if one of the if one of these actresses was missing? Um, no, I I think they had good chemistry. I think, I think you so because I think Anne Bancroft really was the prima ballerina. She was very her art is everything you could see when she was turning it on and off when she was on stage and off stage. And, and she just knew the ropes. She knew what to do and when to be the prima ballerina, when not to be. And Shirley MacLaine bounced off that. And I thought the two of them together were really good. I think another moment that I really enjoyed about Shirley MacLaine, um, cause you could sort of feel her pain a little bit was when she uh, is in New York with her daughter and she's at the dance studio and she's trying to connect with the people in the waiting room, you know, people that she used to work with in her you know, previous life, basically. And everybody's kind of just brushing her off because frankly, they're kind of just cunts, but uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, she's just not Shirley MacLaine's character is just not part of that world anymore. And, and you can, you can see that pain and you can feel that pain. And I, I know, I know, I know what it's like to be quite successful in an industry. And then you leave that industry and you try to, kind of poke your head back into it and everybody kind of just is like, who are you? And I, I know, yeah. I know that feeling. So I, I feel like I related to her a lot. I yeah. feel like I re- I related to her a lot in this movie. I, yeah, I, I see exactly what you're saying. It's like, it's like when I left my office job uh, to have my kids and I remember bringing in my newborn to show it off and no one gave a shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're like, get out of here. You've had a kid. You're boring now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so, this was in Ireland. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. How many of your kids are, well, I guess all of your kids would have dual citizenship, but how many of your kids were born in Ireland? All of them. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. Oh, I, I make it sound like we're the Waltons. There's only three of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, Shirley MacLaine at this point in her career had never even won an Oscar. Everyone kind of said that she should have won for the apartment when Elizabeth, um, when Elizabeth, uh, Oh my God, why am I? Uh, Elizabeth Taylor, wow, how did I forget that? Elizabeth okay. Taylor won for Butterfield 8 um, and Shirley MacLaine lost for The Apartment, which is a great movie, by the way. And then I think Shirley MacLaine won either the following year or the year after for uh, Terms of um, Endearment. Terms of Endearment, that's right. Yeah, and uh, that is one of my favorites. I'm looking, I, I, I need to do that that movie, but what's, what's interesting about the turning point here, this was nominated for 11 Oscars. And it won zero. And there are only there is only other one movie in the history of the Oscars to be nominated for eleven Academy Awards and to not win any, and that's the color purple. Yeah. Well, it just shows you how tough this bloody year was, how brutal yeah. it was. <laughs> Uh, this movie took also, by the way, this movie took like seven to ten years to even get uh, get get anybody to agree to make it because everybody was like, "Why the hell would you know people?" want to watch a movie about ballet i actually thought it was quite fascinating watching the the dancers and stuff like that i thought like i it, there's quite a bit of skill that goes into ballet maybe it's not my thing but like it is quite impressive to watch oh it's definitely an art form and it's and i mean i was exhausted watching them and i was only sitting on the couch <laughs> 
It, and they were so painfully thin and their poor feet were killing them. Like it's really hard, rigorous work. Oh, well, I think all ballerinas have like gargoyle feet. I think that that's it. Cause they're just destroyed. Um, there are two, but the two moments with Shirley MacLaine that really stuck out to me was when she says thing. she said something to Anne Bancroft's character where it was like, why is it that, you know, um, the problems of people like you to Anne Bancroft seem more important um, than the problems of people like me. And I think that's, that was a really, I think that was a really great line. And I think that that was a really well acted line because you really kind of see how she is placing Shirley MacLaine, how she is placing herself in the world compared to Anne Bancroft. But if you really think about it, it's like, there's more to life than just ballet girl. It's like, you have all of the things that Anne Bancroft wants. It's like, you need to learn how to be happy. She Shirley MacLaine's character was a little bit resentful. And I, I kind of like yeah. that aspect because it's real. You know, I like that. Yeah, it was very real. And, and probably for back then showing a woman having made the choice to have the kids and have the marriage and then resent it and regret it yeah. probably was fairly eye opening for people. I think so too. Um, let's talk about Anne Bancroft then. So this role was actually originally Audrey Hepburn was really fighting for it. She didn't get it because Audrey Hepburn actually used to be a ballerina. And she says that this is the biggest regret of her career, not getting this role. And I can see that for her because it's right up her alley. And if anything, it would have been interesting to see Audrey Hepburn in the Anne Bancroft role because if Audrey Hepburn could actually do all of these ballet moves, because Anne Bancroft didn't do any of them. She just did poses. Okay. I would have liked to have seen maybe Anne Bancroft actually really do some of these moves. And she didn't do any of them. And I, I think that that would have been even even more spectacular for her to do it. Because Anne Bancroft, I believe that you're an amazing actor emotionally. But like, you know, acting now, or at least nowadays, it's, it's very physical as yeah. well. And... Uh, I would have liked to have seen that from Anne Bancroft. But that being said, she was incredible in this role. Yes, I thought she was fabulous. She, and I, I really was really sucked into her character. Like, I really believed she was that character. Absolutely. And that's, that is definitely such a, um, that is such a, that is the ultimate compliment that you can give an actor where it's like, it's not acting. It's like, you, you think that it's real. Yeah, absolutely. She was great. I think that, you know, um, uh oh well, I already said that. Sorry, I'm just <laughs> I have like my little notes here. I'm just I'm I'm not even following my notes. I'm going all over the place. <laughs> but um uh I, I love the tension between uh, uh Anne Bancroft and that fucking you remember Arnold, the like bossy little bottom who like was not having any of it where like she was like, Well, I don't dance like that, and he's like, You must dance <laughs> like spelling, you have no idea. And she was he was just like this like fussy little queen and she wasn't having any of it. And she's like, do you know who I am? I love that she had such integrity of character where she wouldn't back down. And she was also kind of really stubborn. And she also was a little bit of a diva. And like, you know, I, I, I love that's exactly how I want to see Anne Bancroft be. I always love to see like a like a mature woman just telling everybody to fuck off. Like that is the best yeah. thing. Yeah. Oh, she held world. her own. She really did. And I I. I I, I love that a lot. And um, one thing that I love so much about her character is like, she doesn't believe in sorry. She believes that uh, uh, it's like, if you are going to make your choices in life, 
that's just who you are as a person because as humans, we're all flawed. And yeah. so when you do something, you she believes that you don't say sorry. And that's why everybody called her a killer. And um, when I was watching it, I was like, I think I would like if she were to just admit it a little bit. I, I like own it a bit more. And then whenever she was like fighting with Shirley MacLaine, like outside of the theater and they were like, I mean, I don't know what the hell, what kind of a fight that was. It was just them like <laughs> flapping each other and like tickling each other. It was pretty pathetic. But um, I loved, I really, really loved that um, she just kind of was like, yeah, I don't say sorry because we are who we are. And that's just mm-hmm. the way that it is. I love how tough as nails she was. I love how career driven she was. I love how she was the most Anne Bancroft in this movie. <laughs> Um, yeah. I love, I loved her so much in this movie, but the thing is, is that Shirley MacLaine and Anne Bancroft, it's sort of like a Thelma and Louise situation where like, without one, you can't have the other. It's like, they both have to work. You- they both have to work together for, I- for each other to like shine. So it's like, I- you know, what I'm saying is that at the end of the episode, when we have to pick like our winners and stuff like that, I am, I'm just saying that this year for me. I have no idea who I'm going to be picking for my winner. I I, I haven't even, I, like, I just don't even know because so many of these performances, it was so dependent on their co-stars that I'm like, uh, like, I don't know. I don't know who, who to pick yet. Anyway, I've been, I've been talking so much. Please tell me what you thought about Anne Bancroft in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I thought she was fabulous. And like you say, she absolutely owned her decisions in life. And I think, mm-hmm. and I think that pissed Shirley MacLaine's character off as well because she was like well I'm regretting it and at least I'm being honest about it and I resent that I'm a mom with three kids and I can't dance and I I, and all of this and Anne Bancroft's character was like well you chose to do that so just suck it up own it that's the way it is and I think that um you could see the tension between them the pulling between them because Anne Bancroft's like you'll be much happier when you accept this is your lot and this is your life and that's what you chose and Shirley mm-hmm. MacLaine's like, well, I can't. I'm going to resent it all the time. And I and it wasn't going to get Shirley MacLaine's character anywhere. And I loved that Anne Bancroft was so so honest to her own feelings. And she's yes. like, you've got loads of things I wish I had, but this is what I chose. And this is what my life is. And this is what I'm dealing with. And I'm going to own it. You know? I also remember when she threw the drink in her face, when Anne Bancroft yes. threw the drink at Shirley MacLaine. <laughs> that was... Incredible. So that scene was rehearsed a million times before they did it with no liquid in it. Okay. And the scene that made it into the movie, they did it in one take, was supposed to be what Shirley thought was a rehearsal. So the reaction was genuine. Because that's a great scene. That that was yeah. like the, <laughs> the best scene. And then what does Shirley say? She's like, good for you and then she just walks away <laughs> yeah yeah mm. Mm. sorry i've been talking so much i gotta have some water You're okay okay so let's talk about jane fonda in the movie julia oh fucking hell <laughs> i'm glad that we're on the same page about this so Meryl Streep, actually, this is her very first movie that she's ever done. And she actually almost got the role of Julia that went to Vanessa Redgrave. But um, the director just thought, well, you know, Meryl's kind of unknown at this point. So I'm not going to use her. This movie won Best Writing, Best Supporting Actor, Best Supporting Actress, Best Supporting Actor. And Jane Fonda actually won the BAFTA for Best Actress, which... 
okay. So, um, uh, okay. Uh, oh yeah. By the way, Jason Roberts, he won the best supporting actor two years in a row. The movie that he won the year previous for was all president's men. Um, so this is a movie that is extremely homoerotic, but the suggestion of any sort of homoeroticism ended in Jane Fonda, like assaulting somebody because she was so like offended because they were basically just supposed to have the most beautiful friendship. But again, this is in the 1970s when the little boy ballerinas are also playing baseball and they're super straight. Yeah. So, um, also I'm like, I'm not like very passionate about that opinion. I'm literally just saying that this red is a very queer sort of storyline. Um, this movie is about Jane Fonda and Vanessa Redgrave are like best childhood friends. Then they grow up. Jane Fonda goes on to be like a writer playwright. And then Vanessa Redgrave is like this brilliant person that lives in like Italy at one point. And then during world war two, she tries to help like be like a spy and like help end the war and stop the like killing of Jews and, 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 Jane Fonda keeps trying to find her in the war and she keeps trying to get in touch with her. And um, basically Jane Fonda keeps like getting secret messages from people. And then they eventually meet in like a, in like a dimly lit bar and like, anyway, this movie. Okay. So this is my second time watching this movie. Um, yeah, I, I used to have, uh, I know, I used to have, because I, I, I knew that it was Meryl Streep's first movie, so I was okay. like, oh, I'll just watch it and see, I wanted to see what it was. And, you know, uh, Jane Fonda was, I, I watched this movie about 15 years ago. I used to have this thing called TMN Encore, and I watched it. And um, I remember at the time being bored to tears because I didn't buy their friendship. It really read more of like a love story to me. Yeah. I also didn't understand why I cared about any of these characters. I just didn't connect with the material at all. And ultimately I don't enjoy the pacing of the story and I don't enjoy the editing of the story. I don't, I just simply put, I didn't get the point of the movie. And when I come back to movies um, with this podcast, I always experience movies in a different way because like I've matured and I have a greater knowledge of film and I understand their careers and maybe like in history, like what it would have meant. And uh, this is one of those perfect examples of when that did not happen. I still fucking hate this movie. <laughs> I literally. Oh this movie, I swear <laughs> to fucking God, it was brutal. <laughs> I think that they were relying on the fact that it was going to be about a, a very rich Nazi sympathizer going missing in Europe, trying to help out um, Jewish people and trying to get people out of Germany and uh, rescue people. And and I think they relied on that fact that, oh, that's a big draw. And I think they mm -hmm. forgot to make the rest of the fucking movie make sense. It <laughs> just was like, Christ almighty. I mean, I thought that the, the makeup was beautiful, that the yeah. costumes were beautiful, everything looked great. It was just missing a bloody storyline. It was kind of all over the place. And this one for best writing, I guess maybe the way that they were telling the story of how the characters, like, you know, uh, without the the characters, the other characters, like, would, wouldn't grow and wouldn't develop and stuff like that. 
And, you know, I, I, I get that. But just in terms of a movie, I found this movie to be extremely boring. And I I, I found that um, one thing that was really funny about Jane Fonda's character was how she was like, always screaming into the phone and refusing to learn any new languages while staying in Europe. I know. <laughs> it was like, what are you? Okay. Like, okay. But then um, also uh, she was a terrible spy. Like she was always so suspicious looking yeah. and she, like, she was about as subtle as a gun. And whenever it was like, you know, take the top hat out of the hat box and put it on your head. It was like, she looked like she was coming down from like meth, like she was a methadone patient or something. And she was like all jittery and like looking over her shoulder. And then it was like, girl, like you are not going to make it as a spy. Oh, like this She was so bloody obvious. Jesus Christ. And, and even the people that, that, so she would meet characters all along the way who were also, um, you know, fighting against the Nazis. And, they, and strangers would just walk up to her and take her by the elbow and start walking her across the road. And she'd be looking all around her over each shoulder like, what, what? Oh my God, like so fucking obvious. I'm like, Jesus Christ, woman. Um, oh, oh, yeah, continue. Yeah, so I just found her, she was like nearly overacting um, and always kind of shocked and surprised and jumping at everything. Um, I would have loved if they had developed a love interest, like you're saying. They they hinted at it. But the fact that Vanessa Redgrave goes missing in Europe um, and you have um, Jane Fonda is writing and she's married to this guy who's a total fucking prick. I would have kicked him in the balls years ago. <laughs> and he's so rude to her and so ignorant and just like, oh, get over. And I was like, is it her dad? Is it her husband? <laughs> Who is this man that she lives with? Because he's a dickhead. Um, so she was in America and she was writing and struggling with her writing, but all the time wanting to connect with her friend who was lost in Europe and she didn't know where she was. And she would write to her, write to her and, and get no letters back. And then World War II was happening and Hitler had taken over. And, and so then she gets to go to Europe to look for her. Um, and I would have loved if there had been... I think it would have made the story make more sense if there had to been some, um, I don't know, some intimacy between the two of them before, like yeah. when they were younger. That would have kind of cemented it a bit more because I'm telling you this, if one of my, I love my friends, I've loads of friends. And if one of them was like, will you come into Nazi Germany on a train for a few hours <laughs> and, and smuggle five? I'd be like, fuck off, I will not. <laughs> now, if I was madly in love and it was the love of my life, maybe. So I found that hard to swallow. I found that bit hard to take. Pardon the pun. Like, <laughs> yeah, I would have to completely agree with that. Um, whenever, okay, talking, okay, because listen, Jane Fonda is a fantastic actor. The, the, she did have some really nice moments. So whenever she gets off the train and she's going into Germany, and the the um, the Nazi is literally like, "So you're only coming into Berlin for an hour, and then you're going to Russia?" He's like. That doesn't make sense. And she's terrified. Um, and like, you can feel the tension of the moment. She's like, oh my God, like that, that scene I thought was like beautifully acted. Um, I think that whenever um, Vanessa Redgrave um, dies and when Jane Fonda goes and you don't see Vanessa Redgrave's corpse, but you do see her coffin. And then when Jane Fonda like sees her, and like her reaction, it's very genuine. It's very real. It's very sad. And, and, and your heart sort of breaks. I think that with a lot of these performances, 
in in all of these movies. I think that um, a lot of these movies weren't fantastic, but there were great moments in every single performance that was like, oh, wow. And then you really see like, okay, this is why you were nominated. This is why this sort of a performance was sort of singled out. And, and I get that because I would say that the first half of the movie, Jane Fonda just bored me to tears. And I, I found her kind of, kind of blah, if yeah. I'm being honest with you, like yeah. it wasn't really that great. But then the last sort of chunk of the movie she really kind of steps it up and gets really serious and you can feel her anxiety. You can feel her pain. You can understand what her character is going through. I thought that her trying to be subtle about the whole spy thing was a little bit over the top. Yeah. But, um, Oh, the guy who was like, uh, telling her which train compartment to go in. And, uh, when he meets her at the hotel and he's like, Oh, like, you know, um, uh, Julia sent me or whatever. That's Maximilian Schell. I did not know that that was him. He won Best Actor in like 1962, 1963, and he actually presented uh, Anne Bancroft with her Academy Award um, the night that Betty Davis thought that she was going to win for whatever happened to Baby Jane. So I thought that was kind of cool. I did Mm. not recognize Maximilian Schell at all, but yeah, Academy Award winner and... He was nominated for this movie too. Wow. Well, do you know, I, I'm just looking at the note I made. I wrote, got interesting at 1.18 hours in. <laughs> that is so funny because mine is one point, uh, 1.04. <laughs> was that when Max showed up? <laughs> I just, yeah, it like suddenly got interesting for me about an hour into the movie because yeah. the first hour I was, I was simply just bored to tears. Now, you know, when she went into her hotel room and they, they, so her white trunk went missing off the train, the Nazis had taken it and right. she goes to her hotel room and she opens up her hotel room and the trunk is there and she goes to open it. I so wanted Vanessa Redgrave's body chopped up to fall out of it. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, this is, all. I was so built up for it. And it was just her fucking nylons and her knickers were all over the place. I was like, that's ah, shit. So you you kept trying to make the more the movie more interesting in, in your head. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and, and the storyline, I don't know what happened. It was like somebody started to write the movie and got fired. And then somebody else took over, made it exciting, but didn't realize that they had to link the beginning of the movie to all of it. It was just all over the place. I, uh, you know, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to agree with you on that. I think that it was like a choice the way that they chose to edit and present the movie, but you know, Jane Fonda is a great actor. I think that she did what she was supposed to for the role. I think that it does come down to a bit of directing for the first chunk of the movie being a little bit boring. But I think that Jane Fonda did really pick it up like in the second half and, uh, you know, yeah. great acting all around. But yes, I think that we might be able to close the book on this one because yes, I, I just didn't care for this. And one. if anyone's going to watch it, just watch the last hour and a half. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, let's talk about um, Marsha Mason in The Good Girl. So, you know, I always love a good comedic performance. Yeah. And there's going to be... Th- okay, so The Goodbye Girl. Yes. Um, <laughs> I'm dying to hear what you think of this, because this is one of my favorite <laughs> movies. <laughs> well, it was years ago. Oh, sure. And I... Okay. <laughs> This of all of the films was my least favorite. <laughs> I had the hardest time paying it. This was my, I was on my phone for half of it because I was bored to tears. Richard Dreyfus is actually great in this movie, except for the problematic homophobic scenes. But again, different time. Yeah. Um, 
So Marsha Mason in The Goodbye Girl. So they call her The Goodbye Girl because she um, is an ex, you know, dancer, chorus girl. And then she meets a guy named Tony and then he just leaves her to go to Hollywood and doesn't like say anything. But then like, so, you know, he says goodbye girl. And that's how she's the good. Cause yeah. I guess men just leave her on. Yeah. a drop. And, and this is another woman who was blighted by pregnancy and had a child. <laughs> oh, that's right. A common, common thread. One thing that I really found was that Richard Dreyfus for me was this movie. Yes. And it's just like in Annie Hall where Woody Allen kind of was that movie. I really feel like Marsha Mason, in my opinion, was kind of just the supporting character. I understand that she is the lead, but I found her character to be really um, confusing and annoying. And again, it's a different time, but it just sort of seemed like without a man, she wasn't complete and she like couldn't be happy. And it, it I don't know. I just, this movie really just bored me to tears. Yes. Now I used to love this movie and I still love it. I am aware watching it in um, today's more PC climate and I'm watching it and going, Ooh, Jesus, that wouldn't be okay now to say. <laughs> um, and then I re- remember it's 1978. It wasn't okay to say then, but they still said stuff. Um, she, I liked this movie. I love Richard Dreyfus. I love him. I think he's such a great actor in anything. And I thought he was, his timing and his lines and everything in this was fabulous. I Like you say, I found she was a little, he was reactionary. She was reactionary to him. If he hadn't have been in this movie, forget it. It's one of those things where, um, well, he won the Academy Award for Best Actor for this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but just because we're talking about Richard Dreyfus, I have a little anecdote about Richard Dreyfus. So Richard Dreyfus showed up at Absolute Comedy in Toronto. Oh, I was night. hoping you were going to say this one. Yeah, he showed up at Absolute Comedy one night like years ago, and he like asked the door guy if he could like hop on. And the door guy, of course, because it's an Absolute Comedy door guy, had no fucking clue who. <laughs> Richard Dreyfus was and was like, what? Um, no, like that's not how this works. You still have to buy a ticket. <laughs> and then apparently, I don't know if it was the box office person or the bartender or the waiter or maybe it was one of the comedians, but somebody basically was like, that's Richard Dreyfus. Yes, he can go up on stage and do a set. Apparently, everybody was like really into it, but apparently he wasn't very funny. Yeah, was he researching a role? Was he doing a role about being a comedian? I, that's what I thought the backstory was. But then I never oh. saw, then I never saw movie with them being a comedian well maybe i shouldn't be telling maybe you should tell the story because i the, the only details that i know is that he showed at absolute toronto and they like refused to let him on until somebody was like that's richard yeah. fucking dreyfus <laughs> like get out of here <laughs> i remember i remember seeing people posting about it on facebook and i was raging i wasn't there that night um uh-huh. but yes all i know is that he got up and, and he wasn't funny but the fact that he, he was who he was he got away with it <laughs> <laughs> that's all anyway. I know. Now, yeah. am I am I wrong in saying that I saw him do an interview, and it must have been about eight years ago, and he was off his head, either mm. on drugs or drink, at an interview, and was absolutely mental. And they had to cut to an ad break and cut the TV show short. He was so bad, and and then I was like, what's ever happened to Richard Dreyfus? And then and then I saw he turned up to do comedy at Absolute Comedy. <laughs> <laughs> Rock bottom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. 
<laughs> well, you know, the thing about the thing about Richard Dreyfus is that um, I don't know what it's like to be famous, but I imagine that, you know, people always coming up to you when you're in like big hit Steven Spielberg movies, yeah. that it would just start to get fucking annoying after a while. Like he calls. But one thing that I don't like about him that I don't respect about Richard Dreyfus is that he calls Jaws the fish movie. Oh, and he like hates when people are like, oh, I loved you in Jaws. And he's like, oh, the fish movie. Aww. And it was some i don't know it was kind of a bit satisfying years later when piranha 3d came out and he had, is in the opening scene of the movie and like the fish like all kill him and he's like oh no like not this again <laughs> and i kind of thought like okay you're really washed up and you need the work because you're in piranha 3d yeah but, uh... <laughs> the fish are getting smaller yeah no exactly um okay so let's get back to marsha mason so, i know he's taken over this as well <laughs> yeah well he really was the star of this movie and you know marsha mason uh, she tied with uh with diane keaton for the golden globe for best performance by an actress in a comedy uh and um i found her to be very un- marsha mason i found her to be very unlikable in this role she had no right to that apartment it wasn't in her name uh <laughs> Like literally Richard Dreyfuss's character was being so nice by allowing them to stay there and not even taking the master bedroom. And she was still complaining about him and how awful he was. And I'm like, girl, like he gave you plenty of notice. You literally could have, he was, he, I'm sure his character would have been like, okay, how about like a week? I'll give you a week and you can find a new place. And she's like, no, like I found her really annoying in this movie. (laughs) I, I found her very desperate and playing the victim. And what can I yeah. do? I've no man in my life. And where was the kid's dad? Tony wasn't the dad. And why right. wasn't he paying support? That's what I want to know. Like, to conceive and leave. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, <laughs> what's going on there? Like, because I couldn't, she's in this apartment in New York. She'd been living with this guy who was an actor. Uh, and then he got a role in something and left. And then he had sublet the apartment out to Richard Dreyfus, And then he arrives and yes, she was right to stand her ground and say, no, I'm here with my daughter. It's the middle of the night. You're not coming in. Uh, and I thought Richard Dreyfus, obviously his character was like, well, I'll share it with you for a while. Now, obviously, Richard Dreyfus wants to get in her knickers from the word go. Otherwise, he wouldn't <laughs> have let her stay. You know, a man wouldn't do that. <laughs> I think that was probably the most, yeah, that was the most unrealistic part of the movie where it's like, oh my God, a girl, a woman and her child. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Fuck that. Um, so I, so I, I liked her character most of it. Like I, I, but she, I don't think she, she wasn't a star. I, I, I'm not sure why she was nominated for best actress, except it was a very slim pickings in 1978. That's all I can say. Well, let me ask you this because I completely agree with that. Um, I completely agree with that sentiment. Didn't it almost read like she was giving like a TV sitcom performance? Yes, it, it was a, a little bit Mork and Mindy, you know. Yeah, there was there was there was this television vibe to it where it just didn't read like a a, a movie. Um, what I thought was kind of funny because all the buildings that I've lived in in my life were always built in the 1970s. So watching this movie was kind of fun seeing like what they were supposed to look like back in the day. That was kind of interesting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my my favorite line from the movie was Richard Dreyfus again. I'm sorry, Marsha Mason. Like, I'm sure that you're a fantastic actor. And I'm not saying that you were bad in this movie, but I am just saying that like your character was a bit resentful and I really didn't enjoy this performance. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But um Richard Dreyfuss's line that I love so much was, I spent 20 years building up my ego, and whenever I really need it, it's always in the John. Okay. 
Because as a performer, as a comedian, that's so true because it's like we we have to have such confidence in ourselves and in our decisions yes. and in our career choices. But then the second that we're about to go out on stage, we're like, oh, my God, what am I doing? I'm not funny. I can't do this. And you have so much self-doubt. And then, you know, you hit the stage and it's different. But yes, I, I love that. I, I loved that she, she was taking any work that was thrown at her because yeah. <laughs> for me being a mom and I went through a divorce and I do comedy. I was like, I mean, I worked for the last nearly two years selling potato starch in health food stores, like standing at a table talking about potatoes and potatoes. And because <laughs> I had an Irish accent, people would buy it. But so I was looking at her going, oh, I feel you. I feel this. I, I need to work at anything that's going to pay the bills. Um, but but she was very much, I need a man. I need love. I'm, you know, that kind of bullshit where I'm like, just get a vibrator. And you're fine. <laughs> um, yeah, she did. I she did not... look amazing in her jeans. I will give her that. She's a, she looked fabulous in the in the okay. movie. I have okay. I have one thing that I will say that I actually really loved that she did in this movie. I don't know why they make actors do this in movies and television, but you know, like whenever they're at like a workout studio and they're like having a conversation with their BFF, but they're also doing like a choreographed like fitness aerobics workout yeah. while acting at the same time <laughs> like fuck you director i don't like yeah. fuck you like i don't want to have to play the piano and sing at the same time like that's that's crazy and marcia mason really nailed those scenes for me i thought that was really really impressive to do a full choreographed workout and to act out all the scenes but you know i love a good comedic performance and I feel like the comedic performance was Richard Dreyfus. I didn't find Marsha Mason very funny in this movie. I actually found her character to be kind of annoying and resentful yeah, and was, a victim. And quite hysterical. Yeah. And hey, maybe I like I liked her. I didn't like I know you're you're didn't really didn't like her. I quite liked her in it. I just don't think she should have been put up for best actress. I think her daughter Lucy had better lines in it. I thought the little girl was great in it. She was nominated for an Academy Award for this. Uh, so now, and she should have won. <laughs> yeah, she was. She was great. She was. She was brilliant. She was nine when she filmed that. She was so good, and she was so deadpan, and she just played off Richard Dreyfuss so well. I loved that when the two of them would be talking. Yeah, she was. She was brilliant, and I think actually Marsha uh, Mason made a. Um, a comment about that she basically said she couldn't believe how precocious and professional this this young girl was um okay so let's talk about our winner let's talk about diane keaton in annie hall so right out the gate i am not a fan of um woody allen for more than one reason but if we're just talking professionally his style of film I've seen quite a few of his films. I he's just not he's just not my filmmaker, and I don't I don't think that he's bad. I'm just saying that it's just it's just generally um, not my thing. I like movies that break the fourth wall. That happens a lot in this movie. Um, if you've listened to this podcast before, you know that I'm not really that huge on Diane Keaton. I saw her in a Starbucks in West Hollywood, and she was taken. She was blocking the line and all I wanted was my stupid fucking coffee and then she was like would you like a picture I'm like get out of the way Diane Keaton with your brown teeth I want my coffee thank you so much <laughs> and your and your monochrome outfit yeah she she was so lovely to everybody and and being very patient and taking photos with everybody but I just was like Diane Keaton I do not care for you please get out of my way <laughs> um 
but she was she was very nice and very lovely to everybody. It's just blech, I don't like her. But anyway, so a- Annie Hall. So basically, you know, it's a it's a human relationship story. Annie Hall is the quirky girlfriend and um uh Woody Allen is this cynical stand-up comedian performer who falls in love with her and really it's a very interesting story about their relationship and it doesn't work out and but he has to keep going on and even though it didn't work out and he knew that it wasn't working out at the end he tries to kind of get her back again and it's just the the complex emotions of a human relationship and how we 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 think that relationships are so silly and they cause us so much pain but it's like we keep going back to them and it's that thing that we need as human beings no matter who we are even cynical stand-up comedians (laughs) This is another example of a Richard Dreyfus in The Goodbye Girl. Woody Allen was the movie for me. As a cynical stand-up comedian, I related to his character so much. I loved his anger. I loved like all of the scenes where he couldn't stand people talking loud behind him. That is one of my biggest pet peeves. <laughs> you know, everything about uh Woody Allen in this movie, believe it or not, I actually really I loved how angry he was. I love how I just I loved how he was just this grumpy old man. Yeah. Diane Keaton in this movie, um, I love how iconic she was. I loved all of her outfits. Those were her like clothes, by the way. There was a costume designer, but that those that's her look. That that yes. is her that is her design. That I think that's so brilliant. I think that there's nothing more special than when like a talented person can come up with their own look and their own kind of style. I have so much respect for that. Um, you know, but a Diane Keaton is a fantastic actor. I'm not a huge fan of her, but you know, she's, she's good in this movie. Um, this movie was an hour and a half. It did feel a little bit like two and a half hours if I'm being honest with you. Um, you know, all of the things that I wrote down about this movie, it, it was really just about her, her looks and yeah i (laughs) well i I felt i know you don't like her i love diane keaton and i love her in in everything she's in and i had never even seen annie hall i think i'd watched it as a very young girl in ireland and i didn't remember i knew the la di da and and all that and i knew she did that and i knew the outfits so watching it now as, as an adult i i loved her in it I thought she played perfectly what she was supposed to play for his neurotic, anxiety-ridden character. It was exactly what was needed for the movie, Mm -hmm. for them to bounce off each other. Um, And I loved that you could see that they were falling in love with each other in the most awkward way possible. Uh, I I thought she was great. Um, Woody Allen... I kind of like Woody Allen movies. I love the fast pace. I love Breaking the Fourth Wall. I love all of the language and all of the lines. And it's just so rich. I, I'm Maybe because he was playing a, a comedian, I was sitting there going, how? Like, how successful is he? Because look at this mm. huge house he has. Like, Jesus yeah. Christ, how many albums has he released? That's what yeah. I want to know. <laughs> has he been on CBC? <laughs> yeah. well, he was on Carson, and that was very big. Yes, huge. You know, I think of all of these performances, I think that Diane Keaton's character was was the most authentic. Yes. I think that um, she seemed like a real person. Um, I think that this is uh, one of her best, I don't know about best performances. I think this is one of her better performances. Um you know, you're absolutely, and I didn't think about that. You're absolutely right because 
Woody Allen's character is just so miserable that you really need someone like Diane Keaton's character to really balance it out. Yeah. And I liked that she had the sort of scenes where she would be singing for the first time and people were like smashing plates and talking and not paying attention. I wrote about that. I said, it's like yuk yuks. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's just like yuk yuks. And it's just so like, you know, I, I, I understood a lot of her pain. If I'm being honest with you, she did kind of play it a little too pretty for me. If what, what I mean by that is just sort of like, she always just kind of seemed like a little too like, oh, well, like, I'll just smile and say everything is okay. And I get that that was part of her character. It just sort of seemed like she never, really, like, stood up to Woody Allen in the way that she should have stood up to him. And it always just kind of seemed like she was just kind of, like, working off of whatever he was saying and just being like, well, I don't think so. But I, I just, okay, this is, this is, okay. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna. I'm just. I need to go on a rant for a second. Okay. This year, this year for me, and I, I know I already said this at the beginning. This is a very difficult year for me. I, I really, still at this point, don't know who I'm gonna pick as my winner because, frankly, I didn't love these movies. I wasn't crazy about any of these performances, um, and uh, you know, just talking about. Normally, when I do this podcast, I have so many things that like I want to say about like each performance and stuff like that. But talking about Diane Keaton in this movie again it's sort of like i have more to say about the movie and more to say about woody allen that i did about diane keaton i'm like i'm just being honest yeah yeah i i i I don't know like what what were some of your moments that you really loved uh from this movie was there any particular scene that that she that she was acting in that really stood out to you i i loved her doing apparently she did her own singing and that scene where she's in the nightclub and she's auditioning um and she sang and obviously she isn't really known for her singing and she was quite vulnerable and I loved that and I loved that there was stuff crashing around her and she kept going on and she was trying to be professional Uh, I loved that I loved when she was uh driving and how scattered she was driving crazy all around New York and it just was so she was like even her catchphrase the la di da she was so airy fairy and light and oh don't everything's fine relax and it just was perfect for him because he was such a disaster he was just such a big huge ball of tension and then mm-hmm. she was just so oh everything's okay um and i really loved that i loved how she played that um the scene where she called him over uh, they'd already broken up, but she called him over because she found a spider in her bathroom. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm like, oh, oh, you know, and then you think, did she just call him over because she really, really misses him? Is she that scared of spiders? I just, she sucked me in. And I, I was going with this kind of hippy dippy, airy fairy character from New York. Uh, and, and I really enjoyed her. I think that... Um a couple sort of interesting things to say about this movie. So this is the second shortest movie ever to win best picture. It was, a, I think about an hour and a half an hour and 31 minutes. Uh, the cocaine scene where Woody Allen sneezes <laughs> yeah. and it goes everywhere. That was not, that was not scripted. That was actually genuinely a sneeze. And oh, wow. Every, and I, I have so much respect for Diane Keaton in that scene because she reacts um, as Annie Hall. She doesn't react as Diane, like, like, oh, you fucked it up. Like she actually reacts in character. And I think that that's, that's, that's very, very impressive. Um, 
I also kind of enjoyed the scene uh, whenever, again, this is about Woody Allen. Uh, I love the the cynicism of Woody Allen whenever the guy like wants Woody to write jokes for him. And he's like, I was thinking about like, you know, it could be like a French person, like maybe a Canadian <laughs> French person. And they're like, oh, croissant. Oh, blah, blah, blah. And then Woody Allen has to have this fake laugh on his face and pretend like he's like, yeah, for sure. It's so funny what you're saying. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then in his head, he's like, this guy is such a fucking asshole. And I literally... At, like you and I both We've know been what that's there. like. Yeah. And you just sit there and you're like, ugh. Like I I I loved I loved that scene. But um you know, I don't okay. I think if there's anything else that you would like to add, I, I think I would I think it I would like to add about Annie Hall that I loved the little cameos. There was Christopher Walken, there was mm. Paul Simon, there was Jeff Goldblum. And there was yes. <laughs> and Marilla from Anne of Green Gables. I kept going, oh, I know that. Oh, it's actually really good cameos all over this movie. The character Carol Kane, she's from Kimmy Schmidt. She was actually nominated a year earlier for um, Best Actress in a Leading Role. Hmm. Oh, cool. Yeah. So there were, yeah, you're right. There's a lot, there were a lot of, a lot of cameos in this movie. Um Okay, so if there's anything else that you would like to add, now is the time because I think that it's time to reveal who we think that the Oscar should have gone to. No, I, I am done. I, I'm very happy to never look at another movie from 1978. And that, and, <laughs> and can we just say that Star Wars came out that year and that didn't right. <laughs> did that win anything? Nothing. Uh, no, because th- these movies came out in 77, but the ceremony is in 78. Okay, so Star Wars was big around that time and I was like... <laughs> they didn't win anything. Nice one. Uh, okay, so you can go first of who you reveal, who you think should have won. I think the Oscar should have gone to... Shirley MacLaine. Okay. And why? Because she was so great at playing a woman that re- regretted this decisions she made in her life even though she loved her children she resented them and regretted them and i could i could relate to that (laughs) (laughs) uh okay that's that okay um okay well then i'm gonna go ahead and say who i think should have won so i think that the oscar should have gone to Bancroft for The Turning Point. I'm so glad that you said Shirley MacLaine because I do believe that those two, it's almost like it's a tie in the sense where it's like those characters, they each needed each other for this movie to work. I love that Anne Bancroft was a no apologies career driven woman. I love that she threw a drink in Shirley MacLaine's face. I love that she um, did have a very loving sort of personality, but she also owned the majority of her choices. And, um, I think that if anybody is going to, you know, play the the uh, tired old career woman, it's going to be Anne Bancroft. And she did it beautifully. I, I this was the my favorite of all of the movies. And I love a great Anne Bancroft performance. And I thought she was really great in this. Um, yeah, this was not my favorite year, but, you know, that's going to happen sometimes. And I'm glad that I did get to see this movie. But. If any of you are interested, check out The Turning Point. For, sincerely, it, it was a. I loved this movie a lot. I loved watching this this movie. And if you're going to watch any of them, check out The Turning Point. 
But that being said, this concludes another episode of Best Actress. Uh, if you guys, uh, where can um, people find you on social media, Fiona? Um, uh, FionaO'Brien.ca is my website. They can find me. I'm on Twitter and Instagram and uh, uh, Real Fiona O at Real Fiona O. And uh, yeah, and you can hear me on SiriusXM just for laughs. And go buy my album, please. I have to feed my kids. Magically malicious. All right. Well, thank you so much, Fiona. And uh, we appreciate having you here. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.